With that said, we'll get into um, our, our sermon series again is the love of God, and we've been focusing on uh, who Christ is and how God reveals himself to us. Uh, today we're in John chapter 10, and I'd like to just go ahead and start in verse 1. We'll read through verse 21 today. <clears throat> Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. And have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father... There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of the one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So as we conclude our reading for today, it picks up where we left off last week. Um, and over the last couple of weeks, uh, Newt and Kevin have done a wonderful job serving us um, and ministering us the word. And last week we saw that the uh, blind man, man who was born blind, was healed, that Jesus healed him, and then that the, the Pharisees um, quizzed him about it and gave him a hard time and ultimately kicked him out of the synagogue. But, uh, and we see that then Jesus reveals himself to the blind man, and the blind man worships Jesus. And, and as we're concluding that story, Jesus goes right into today's text. Uh, the Pharisees could hear what Jesus had said to the blind man, and here he comes right into this as he finishes with the blind man. He goes into, truly, truly, I say unto you, and he begins with this illustration um, about a shepherd. And, and the shepherd illustration is something that would be very familiar to the Jewish people, um, especially of that day and age, as many of them uh, were shepherds, and, uh, and it was a popular part of their history. And we know of King David started as a shepherd. 
And all through the ancient Near East, actually, shepherd is used in, in many different forms in many different ways. And there's a fascinating study about how the shepherd, especially when it refers to the king, the shepherd king, and, and uh, in the Old Testament, God himself is referred to the shepherd king, but no king of Israel is ever referred to as the shepherd king. However, surrounding nations around Israel would oftentimes uh, refer to their kings as shepherd kings, and it was a sign for, like, in the Egyptians' case, um, the shepherd king referred to divinity of the pharaoh. And so if you see a picture, uh, the hieroglyph of a pharaoh would have a shepherd's crook. Even though we know that the Egyptians did not like the shepherds, they like to cast the shepherd, the actual real shepherds aside, but the symbol of a shepherd represented their king and oftentimes the divinity, uh, what they believed to, uh, to, that their kings were divine. And so it brings this, this connotation into the, the, the Bible, the Old Testament, and into the New Testament about a kingly nature of the shepherd that we have going on here as well as an actual shepherd. So we're really going to look at... Um, how shepherding sheep and the eastern shepherd and how they cared for the sheep and how they would um, grow their flocks and, and what would happen with them. There's a, the very real picture that Jesus is using here, but there's also an underlying tone in this language of I am the good shepherd that Jesus is in fact declaring that I am the king, that I am God. And, uh, and as we go through it, we, we read stories that Jesus talks about and sometimes they seem pretty passive and gentle when we think of a, a shepherd and then we see the people get upset with him. Here we see they, they call him demonic, and, and they're angry. Later we see they want to stone him. Uh, just in the chapter ahead, they wanted to stone him because of some of the things he's saying. And oftentimes we have to stop and think and say, what they heard may be a deeper meaning than we, we receive some 2,000 years later in a different culture where uh, we're not using that, that same kind of language. So, but... Uh, today I want to just uh, look into Ecclesi uh, Ezekiel chapter 34 briefly as we consider the, the charge that Jesus brings here in these first six verses, uh, very similar to what the prophets of old had called out that God said against the shepherds who uh, were not treating the sheep well. So in Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 2, it says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, and you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. And the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And so God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, rebuking the leaders of Israel who have mistreated the people of Israel. The God's chosen people were being mistreated um, by the shepherds. Therefore, then later on in the chapter, God says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. And then later, at the very end of the chapter, he says, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that the... They, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God, and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. So as we enter into this text and we see that there is a prominent teaching in Israel's history about shepherds who are mistreating the sheep and that God rebukes and that God himself declares himself to be the shepherd of the people and that he will come and take care of his people. And so when we get into verses 1 through 6, we see that uh, Jesus is using this illustration of 
the authentic shepherd, the true, the authenticity of the shepherd is who is the one true shepherd? Who is the one who cares for the sheep? And he, when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, the, that man is a thief and robber. He's using specific language here to give us the test of authenticity, authenticity number one, the treatment of the sheep. How are the sheep treated will tell you, is this a shepherd or is this a thief or a robber? And the terms thief and robber are pretty similar, but one refers to like a sneaky thief who sneaks in and, and steals, and the other one is more of a violent offender who will come in and, and destroy the, them. And we have that in here, the treatment of sheep, those who are coming in, um, specifically going back to verse uh, chapter 9, the Pharisees who have mistreated the blind man as well as many others because of their pride, because of their desire for control, because of their, their self-righteousness. Here they cast out a man who was born blind instead of cared for him the way God would intend it. And so Jesus is really in this uh, parable here that he's using, he is uh, giving a scathing rebuke to them as well as giving us a very comforting message of who he is and what he's doing. So as we look at who's, uh, how someone's treating the sheep, the Pharisees, the scribes who came before him, and many other false prophets have come before and mistreated. They've tried to control um, those with power, used it to control the vulnerable and, and take advantage of them. But Jesus comes, and he cares for the sheep, and he calls the sheep, and he knows the sheep. And so we see a, a stark contrast between Jesus and uh, the false and the thieves and the robbers and the Pharisees. The test number two is, he talks about, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The gatekeeper will recognize the true shepherd. Now, the picture that he's giving us here is a sheep pen. In, uh, in the uh, Eastern style, they would have in, within the village, there would be like a, a communal sheep pen where all the shepherds could bring their sheep in into a walled environment with one door, and then they would hire out a gatekeeper who would protect the sheep while the shepherds would, you know, go home or take care of business. Um, but it was, this is a larger pen, and it was a, a mixed flock, and the gatekeeper would be a vigilant watcher of the sheep. And the gatekeeper would know who the shepherd was who brought in sheep. And so when they would come back to the gatekeeper, he would recognize them and know them. And so we see here that the test of authenticity is that the gatekeeper would recognize the, the shepherd. Now, we can't say dogmatically who um, Jesus is referring to as the gatekeeper. Uh, if he wanted us to have a specific answer to that, he would have given it to us. But I'd like to suggest thinking of a few things that the gatekeeper was um, the faithful prophets and leaders who have come before who pointed to the Messiah, the prophecies giving um, uh, about Christ's coming and, and prophetic words given. Consider, for instance, Psalm 40, verse 7. says, Then I said, Behold, I come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. And later in Hebrews it refers this psalm back to Christ. The claim here is that the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, is about Jesus Christ. And if we remember that the Old Testament anticipates the coming Messiah, the Gospels announce him, the epistles explain him, and Revelation expects him. All of the Bible refers to Jesus Christ. And so when we come to the Bible with the lens of Christ, we begin to make an understanding of what it's teaching. 
Luke 4, 17 through 21, it says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he, Jesus, rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So again, Jesus points to the scriptures that anticipated his coming and were the gatekeeper to say, who, who is the true shepherd? Who is the one to come? And lastly, I'd like to consider one John the Baptist, the forerunner who recognized the true shepherd. He here was a leader who was proclaiming and teaching and preparing the way. And when he saw the true shepherd, he opened the gate. And he says, and John 1, 29 through 30 says, The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. So we see here that he recognizes the true shepherd and he opens up and, and points people to the true shepherd. So the test two is the gatekeeper recognizes the shepherd. Test three is the, the sheep hear his voice and follow him. When it comes to shepherding sheep, uh, the eastern shepherd, uh, both in ancient times and even today, shepherds sheep differently than we do over here in, in the west where oftentimes we have sheep dogs and we and drive the cattle uh, pushing from behind and demanding uh, large groups but in the eastern way it was to lead to walk before spend time with and to love their sheep and we we see some of these um key indicators when he says he knows his sheep by name he calls out to them they follow him so in this mixed environment that uh, the, this communal pen, all a shepherd had to do was to call out to his sheep. Sometimes they would use a song, and the sheep of his herd only would go out with him, that he could lead just by his voice because he spent so much time with his sheep, knowing them, talking to them, singing to them. They would recognize the, the voice of their, their shepherd and follow him. Now, another shepherd could come in and sing the same song, but they would not listen to that shepherd because they don't recognize him. But they recognize their own shepherd. And this is in something that even today you could go over uh, in Israel and you could observe these sheep leaving their fold based on the voice of the shepherd alone. And they would follow after him. The shepherd would lead them out to pasture. And so the test of a true shepherd is, are the sheep recognizing the voice of the shepherd? Are they following him? You know, I was thinking about how, how much time and, and, and effort that the shepherd would have to give to the sheep for them to, to know him and love him and, um, and follow him. And, uh, and I, I thought of one of my, I love animals. I don't own any animals because I don't love to take care of them, but I love animals. Um, my brother has a dog and, uh, and I, I can go treat his dog as if he's my own dog and then I can leave him and he can feed him and clean up after him. Um, but Goliath is a big dog and uh right and it's great that anytime i go over he gets so excited to see me as if like i'm his owner um but even to the point like he recognizes the sound of my car when i pull in 
and he'll, he'll act differently at the window of a stranger's car or my car. And he knows when I knock and he's at the door and he's waiting, uh, he's 115 pounds and he likes to jump on me and then can knock you over if you're not careful. But um, because, and like the time I've spent with him, so oftentimes I'd house sit for him and take care of the dogs, but I spent a lot of time with Goliath and he knows me and he will listen, like he listens to my brother more because he's his dog. But I'm like the second, like he'll listen to me pretty much anything I tell him to do because of that, that relationship that we spent time together. Animals can learn us and trust us. And so we see this even with the, the, the shepherd, uh, with the, the literal sheep. But this points us towards this truth that Jesus wants to spend so much time with us that we can know about him, that we can learn about him, that we can trust him, and that we get excited to see him and to spend time with him. And I thought of the, that... Um, uh, a Pets Life movie where the dog sits at the door um, just waiting all day for their master to come home, right? Like some dogs like, do that, and it's, uh, uh, but just the anticipation, oh, my master's coming back, my master's coming back. And like, isn't that the attitude we should have about Jesus Christ? Like we're so excited to be with our shepherd who loves us and cares for us that we can't wait to be with him. And as soon as he calls, we listen and we follow. And it's, it's, a, it's a big, um, important truth of a true sheep is that we're listening and we're, we recognize and we follow. Do you hear his voice call is the question. And as we see that Jesus calls his sheep out of the mixed fold, his voice goes out and they listen and they begin to come to him and they depart the communal fold here. And as we get into verse 7, verse 6 says, the Pharisees and those hearing him didn't pick up on this illustration of what Jesus was talking about. So Jesus goes um, with a, a similar uh, subject matter, the, the shepherd and the sheep, but he goes in a different direction with it. So as we pick up in verse 7, he begins to, as they take, as a shepherd would leave the communal sheepfold and go out into the pasture lands, oftentimes they would lead them out into the wilderness uh, for days at, on end, and they would be out camping out. And at that time, a shepherd would make his own sheep pen. And uh, maybe it was a cave, or maybe he would build walls out wherever they were, and he would then himself lay in the doorway of that sheepfold so nothing could get in except through him. And this is where Jesus transitioned from the communal sheepfold to the, the very personal, his own flock. This is his people that he's talking about. It says in verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Sorry, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and I will go in and out and find pasture. Uh, <clears throat> the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life abundantly. And we see here that, sorry, I lost my spot, um, that Jesus is the sole provider of abundant life. He's the door. He says, I am the door. And what he's saying is, I am the only way to abundant life, to eternal life. You know, this is a, the, the Gospel of John goes in a different direction, saying the same thing. Oftentimes, Matthew, Mark, and Luke will say the kingdom of heaven to talk about eternal life. John talks about abundant life, life eternal, life with Jesus that starts now and lasts forever. He's talking about true life, what we were intended to live, and he uses language that's a little bit different. And, he's, and Jesus says, I'm the door, I'm the access, I'm the only way to eternal life. Um, and he gives warnings and, and promises here. He, he warns again about thieves and robbers, and he talks about a thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The, the, the thief in all of our lives is always the sin 
and the lies that we believe. The sins we commit and the lies that we believe steal and, and kill and destroy our joy, um, our, our confidence in Christ, our hope that we have. Anytime we allow sin to continue in our lives, we disrupt the, the hope that we have in Christ. The lies that we believe, all of our, our sins that we commit is because we distrust God. We believe lies. We don't think God's going to provide for us in the way he promises to. We don't trust him to lead us to, to green pastures. Instead, uh, we do it our own way. And, and beyond that, ultimately, the thief also is that there's a very real enemy of our souls that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy us, that we are in a spiritual warfare constantly when we are out of the sheep pen, when we're not following after our Savior, we are vulnerable to the lies of the enemy. And Jesus says that he is the door, and those who come through him will, have, will be saved, and they will go in and out and find pasture. What this means is that the, the shepherd will lead them out into green pastures, and then he will bring them back into security and safety, and he's leading them out to, to eat, and he's bringing them back in to keep them safe. And it's in our lives, when we follow Christ, we are feasting on what he gives us, and we are secure in who he is. That is when we are his sheep that follow after him. And so we need to, to see this, that, that Jesus wants to lead us to abundant life. And what exactly is abundant life? Life is the way God intended you to live. It's the way to, to see him for who he is, to be in relationship, to know God, to have confidence in him, and to enjoy his presence and to experience life the way he intended. When we do it our own way, we bring disruption and discord. And, and when we pursue holiness, we are removing all the things that ultimately make us sad and disrupt our life. And so pursuing him leads us to abundant life and ultimately we'll be with him forever. And so one, one person I read this week talked about you know, heaven is this place where we're going to be with Jesus forever. Like, when the Bible describes heaven, it does describe a place, and it does describe things, but ultimately it's about being with Jesus, that Jesus is there, and that we get to be with Jesus. And the, the, the question was posed that if you don't desire to be with Jesus today, why do you think you'll want to be there with him for eternity? Like, Jesus is who eternity is about, that we get to be with our Savior and see him and love him and, and experience him. But instead, we often we just want the good life. We want the abundant life, uh, but we're not really focused on who Christ is. And Jay Adams wrote this. If you seek the abundant life rather than seek to follow the shepherd, you will not enter into abundant life. You will continue to feed among the weeds rather than in the tender green grass you must learn to rejoice in the voice of the one who calls, rather than what he gives. As you do, he will lead you into luxuriant pasture lands and cause you to lie down beside restful waters. But that must always be secondary to the desire to follow the shepherd, even when he leads through the valley where there are shadows in which death lurks. The importance of don't look for the, the prize shouldn't be the abundant life. The prize should be the shepherd, the Christ, that we long for him, we listen to him, we spend time with him, and as we do, we enjoy what he uh, gives us. But when we begin to focus just on the abundant life or the green grass, we, we just, we camp out and we stay. And as I was reading through and studying, I, some, I get, was getting get convicted about how often um, I can rest in one spot for way too long, that I'll go, and I, I'm like, oh, this is green grass, and then I stay there, and then the green, the good green grass actually, like, is, is gone, and then there's just the weeds left, but I'm, I'm content. I'm like, look, I'm following Jesus, and I kind of just camp out and stop, um, 
instead of continuing on to the next step where he's taking us, where the, the grass is green and, and flourishing. Ray Vanderlaan has a, a different take on green pastures. I, uh, in growing up in Ohio, when I think of green pastures, I think of really lush, green, tall grass, or uh, maybe I'll picture an Irish um, hillside, you know, just something beautiful and full of green. Um, he talks about how in Israel, especially in southern Israel, it's a, a rocky, dry desert place. And, uh, and some, so, and I'd imagine in Galilee would be a little bit different, but southern uh, Israel, ha- is, it's mostly rocky terrain. And the shepherds would lead the, the sheep out through these rocky hills to the place where little bits of grass would grow up through the rocks. And they, they, the term he said they use over there for this pasture land is green pastures. That the shepherd will take them to where they need to go for their daily provision but they have to keep following the shepherd. And I like this interpretation because of how important the shepherd is to it. The sheep must trust and must continue to follow after the shepherd for their daily provision. Now, when we think of the the green pastures as we have here, where the sheep could just kind of camp out forever and stay and get real fat and not do move, the eyes of the sheep can go off the shepherd and, uh, and, and what Jesus is calling us to is to follow him, to keep our eyes fixed on him. <clears throat> so then, then we also then see here, he continues on the, the shepherd's personal investment in the sheep. It says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And, uh, and he, he shows how much the shepherd loves the sheep, one, by um, being willing to lay down, but he gives two comparisons of the shepherd and his investment in the sheep. He says the good shepherd is willing to, to sacrifice for the sheep. And we know this as Jesus is foreshadowing his own uh, willingness to go to the cross and shed his blood for our sins. But he compares that to the cowardice of, of the hireling. And he says the, that the hired hand is not the shepherd. And when he sees the wolf coming, he flees and he leaves the sheep to be destroyed. He says, I am the good shepherd, that he knows his sheep and is known by, I'm getting ahead of myself. So being willing to lay down his life, he is willing to risk it all for a sheep. And we know um, that what Christ is willing to do is to take our sins upon himself and go to the cross so that we could be made pure, to be reconciled, to be forgiven, to be brought into a relationship with him. By him laying down his life for us, he saves us and gives us eternal life. But those, again, hired ones who come, they, these are not the same as the thieves and robbers. These are ones who, who, who are really, um, but very similar. Thieves and robbers are, are killing and destroying, and the hirelings just aren't really caring for them. But it really falls under the same umbrella of what Ezekiel 34 was talking about. But we have this illustration that the, the good shepherd sacrificed for the sheep, the hired hand is a coward and runs away. And then the second illustration, one is, I think, so important, is that he says that he knows the sheep and, and that the sheep know him, and he compares that to the father's uh, knowledge and love for the son and the son's f- knowledge and love for the father. So when we come to this part about the shepherd knows us and we are known by him, this is a belonging, this is a relationship, this is uh, the, the intimacy of what we have with our Savior. And Tim Keller said it this way, to be 
loved but not known is comforting but superficial to be known and not loved is our greatest fear but to be fully known and truly loved is well a lot like being loved by god it's what we need more than anything that our shepherd knows us and longs us to to know him John 17, 3, which uh, when I was reading through this in seminary, it came to this verse and it gripped my heart and, and changed my whole perspective of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That, that eternal life, abundant life, life the way it was intended is to know Jesus Christ, to have a relationship with him uh, and, and to follow after him. And it's not just that we follow Christ, but we worship Christ as the blind man. When he found out that it was Jesus who healed him, he worshiped him. And as we follow Christ, we worship him. Recently, I've been rereading through J.F. Packer's Knowing God, and in your bulletin, there's uh, the quote. I'm going to read the context of this quote. But it's so profound to think about this. He says this, There is certainly a great cause for humility in the thought that he sees all the twisted things about me that my fellow humans do not see, and I'm glad. And that he sees more corruption in me than that which I see in myself, which in all conscience is enough. There is, however, equally great incentive to worship and love God in the thought that, for some unfathomable reason, he wants me as his friend and desires to be my friend and has given his son to die for me in order to realize this purpose. We cannot work these thoughts out here, but merely to mention them is enough to show how much it means to know, not merely that we know God, but that he knows us. This, this idea that when it says that he knows us, he knows everything about us. He knows our, our deepest uh, sins and, and our, our greatest fears. He sees us at our worst, and yet he still longs for us and calls us and, and invites us into this relationship with him. And I love that part that for some unfathomable reason, he wants to be friends with me. If you would just allow yourself to read through John 10 here and, and dwell and camp on these thoughts about God says that we can know him and that he knows me and we're known by him. And then this invitation to a personal love relationship with him and the comparison to that of Jesus' relationship with the Father, the eternal triune Godhead who has been together for all of eternity in perfect harmony, perfect love, um, perfect unity and acceptance, fully known and being known continually, and, and he extends that towards us and inv invites us in, that he says, my love for you is like the Father's love for me. I mean, that should bring so much comfort and joy and hope to the sheep to know that, man, that is eternal. The Father's love for the Son is eternal and strong and bonded together for eternity. And he says, that's the kind of love I'm giving to you for those who are in me. And then we come to the, from the, the, the comparisons, we come to the mission of the shepherd. Verse 16 says, And I have other sheep that are not into this fold. I must bring them also, for they will listen to my voice. So they, there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. That he's going into the world. And, and here, uh, there's scholars debate about this, but I think the, the best interpretation is that he's referring to 
the future Gentiles who will become part of the fold. He's referring to you and I that some 2,000 years later we're hearing the voice of the shepherd and we can follow him, that we are invited in to be part of his flock, that there's one shepherd, there's one uh, flock, and that we come to him. And then he, he says that because of his love for us and the way he demonstrates his love to us, the Father, the Father loves that about Jesus, that, that Jesus is willing to fulfill what it was necessary to protect the sheep, to bring the sheep into the fold. And as we think of the mission that he has, that he's calling us in to go into the world to, to declare who he is, that there is one true shepherd, one who loves and is calling. And when we, when we consider the authority that he then claims to have from the Father, he says, I have the authority to, to lay my life down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father, that the Father has granted him this. And we consider this when we go into Matthew 28, 18 through 20, says, And Jesus came to and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We think that Jesus says the authority has been given to him to send us out, in his place to call out to share his voice to this world to declare his word that there is a shepherd the good shepherd who loves the sheep to anyone who will hear his voice and follow after him that we get to have a part of that and he says there are other sheep out there which means that as we proclaim it we have confidence that the sheep will hear it that we are called to, to proclaim it and the sheep will come to the shepherd and so as we have this opportunity to, to know the shepherd, to be known by the shepherd. We also have the opportunity to share the shepherd with others. Jesus then says, I have the authority to lay down my life, which all of us could say that we have the authority to lay down our life. Um, we can be reckless with our life, and we could take our life. But what we can't do, it says, and he says, I have authority to take it up again. Nobody can say that. Nobody can say that. I mean, that's crazy to think to someone who says, I can die at any time, but I can take up my life. No, you can't. No, you can't do it. And so that's crazy talk unless, unless it's true, and which is where we get to the response to the shepherd, where they said, it says there was, again, division among the Jews because of these words. They said, he's, he's a demon. He's, he's insane. Why listen to this guy? He claims to be able to raise himself up. Like they heard him claim to be able to raise himself from the dead, and they recognize that that is, that is crazy talk, unless it's true. And so we, we're reminded here of uh, the argument that C.S. Lewis once talked about, and I'll read to you from a portion of Mere Christianity. He says, I am here trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. 
Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. When we come to this place here in the, in the story, when we get down here, we recognize that Jesus did not give any room for us not to choose one or the other. It's either you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, or you don't. That he either is the good shepherd, meaning that he is the one who has come to give his life for the sheep and he raised it back up again. That he is indeed the king, the God of the universe, the one who calls us into a relationship with him. That he is the door, that he is the only way to salvation, the only way to abundant life, or he's not. The question is, are we listening to the shepherd who is calling us? Is it calling us by name, calling us into a deeper walk with him? Are we following him and leaving the mixed pen and going out to green pastures and trusting him for our next step and for our safety and for our security, that in spending time with him and following him, we get to have abundant life with him and, um, and know him? That's the call. That's what we have. And we're at this place of a response that we have to come to a place. Is Jesus who he says he is? Is he the good shepherd? Do you hear his voice? Are you following? In closing today, I'd like to go ahead and, and bring Psalm 23 back up. And I'd like to have us read this together as a closing prayer. I'll, we'll read it. I'll say a prayer and the praise team can come up and lead us. In this song, Amazing Grace, my chains are, are free, that in Christ, in following the shepherd, that our sins are forgiven and we have a relationship with him. But when we come back to Psalm 23, can we say these words in truth that he is the good shepherd, that we are his sheep and that we are following him and that these blessings are true in our life? And so I'd like to ask you to go ahead and stand if you can and we'll recite this together. We'll pause at the, the breaks and, and kind of slowly work through this and, and say yes and amen to the promises that he has given us. So let's read this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful that you are the good shepherd, that you've revealed yourself to us in these illustrations about that you are God, that you've made provision for us, Lord, and that you call us by name to follow you. Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear, hearts to listen, that we would follow you out of the fold and into the pastures, and we would trust you for the next step. Lord, I pray that today that we would say yes and amen to Jesus, to the promises that the good shepherd provides. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.